Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri country in the Kulin Nation in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Beck Horridge. The show was made in Newcastle, Mulebimba, on the Awabakal Nation. Put your sun hat on and join the happy crowd of coal ship blockaders listening to their friends on the stage on the beach of the Newcastle Coal Export Facility at Mulebimba. The first speaker is a coal worker from the coal industry, the deep thinker Grant Howard, who describes activists as selfless. I'm happy to speak today because as a participant in climate communications and demonstrations since about 2018, I don't get the opportunity to thank the people who organise these events. Without these events, our community, including myself, would still, still be to a large part unaware of the need for change and the need to stop any new fossil fuel project. I was 60 this year and I spent most of my life thinking that people in positions of responsibility uh, generally do the right thing, which now in hindsight I must embarrassingly admit uh, was a naive way to process life. So I sincerely thank the people who have the clarity of understanding and commitment, perseverance to organise these events, raise awareness and affect change. So thanks to those people. <laughs> I've been a climate communicator for about four or five years. It's not a role that comes easy for me because for the last 43 years, I've been a part of the coal industry in Wollongong, Newcastle, and uh, more recently, the Bowen Basin in Queensland. But being a coal miner doesn't divorce me from caring for the environment. It doesn't mean I can be reckless with my opinions. It doesn't mean I can re- be reckless about other people's future. One reason amongst others why I become a climate communicator was because of an obligation I have to my fellow workers in the coal industry. I want coal miners to be part of the transition conversation. I become increasingly frustrated with politicians who fail to articulate the cascading disaster caused by burning, unearthing and burning fossil fuel. Politicians who deliberately lied not to protect mine workers, but lied and used mine workers to protect their own jobs. Creating fear and community division or lie to protect corporations that are hell-bent on squeezing every last dollar they can from this current and unfolding disaster. Politicians and governments have been aware of the climate consequences for well over 40 years. I learned about greenhouse gases and climate effects of burning fossil fuel at school in 1918. When I was at work, I talked to engineers and they described to me the impacts of releasing CO2 and methane in the atmosphere. Those conversations were in 1985. I relied on the government to monitor the impacts of burning fossil fuel, and to date, the government has totally failed. They haven't failed a little bit. They have totally failed to protect our environment. I don't care who's in government. I'm not a political person. I only want a responsible government who's addressing the issue of climate change. And while there are important issues in our community that need to be addressed or made right, there is only one issue that if we don't address it with urgency and commitment, every other issue becomes irrelevant. A relatively stable and predictable climate is fundamental to survival. Burning fossil fuel, destroying carbon sinks, 
You know, you can't give billions of dollars to environmental protection and at the same time continue to burn fossil fuel. It's not a zero-sum game. It's a game that is fatal to our supporting ecosystems and biodiversity. There is one issue that needs our combined focus and that is the implementation of a zero-carbon economy. Other countries around the world have started that or are doing that, but Australia has done the opposite. They are encouraging the sale and use of coal, oil and gas and continue to do so. As a person in the resource industry, I'm still a coal miner. I want to say that there's enough coal, oil and gas projects on foot to facilitate a transition and Australia could play an amazing part of a transition by declaring an end to new fossil fuel projects. No new fossil fuel projects is an economic signal that tells the world that we are serious about a transition. We need to remember the corporations are not faceless entities. They have at their centre boards of directors who hide behind a corporate veil and exploit whatever they can for their own individual benefit. I live in a rural environment. I see the problems of climate change manifesting around me. Climate, weather, seasons that were to some degree predictable are now increasingly unpredictable. As a coal miner, I was trained to monitor uh, mine gases, CO2 and methane were some of those gases. It was part of my job. I was acutely aware of the atmospheric concentrations of CO2. It was 300 parts per million at the start of my employment. That was in 1981. So 40 years have gone by. And one day, I was listening to the news at home, and they talked about something that level of CO2, and I heard that the level was going to reach 420 parts per million. And that was the crystallising moment for me when I heard that figure. I can't remember what they said after that, but I do remember my anger. Now, why didn't someone manage this? Why didn't someone let us know about this? Why did I let this slip through my fingers? And as I was angry with myself, I became angry with the government. I then looked further and found denial and ridicule was entrenched in social media and politicians were exploiting that issue. They played on people's fear of losing their jobs. I took notice of politicians and I realised they were lying, just outright lying. So for me, I grieved. Uh, that angst gripped me, the sense of loss developed. I grieved. Every day I was at home, I was immersed in rainforest and animals that were part of an ecotone, and I lamented and realised that all those things would eventually be destroyed or lost in fire. And I sulked. But attending and participating in these climate protests has resolved that grief. Uh, it's been difficult to call out coal, I've been a part of that industry for over 40 years. I understand my obligation to other mine workers and I want coal miners to be part of these conversations. <laughs> it deeply disturbs me that politicians are not emphatically honest with miners and the community. I am in awe of people who participate in direct action, uh, who have no other motive than to maintain a world that is habitable for people not yet born yet, you are selfless people and you continue to inspire and motivate me and that's why I'm participating in this blockade today. Incredible words, so true and thank you everyone for being here. While the speakers pep talk the canoe blockaders on the beach, in the park behind there is a huge logistics team generating 24-7 activity to keep over 2,000 bellies in the people's campsite, fed, sheltered, clean, transported and safe. I noticed songwriter Carl Eric from Canberra had been washing up forever 
and I went over for a chat. Do you want to? Do you want to talk? Yeah. Carl, you were washing up here at least two hours ago. Yeah. Bloody things! <laughs> How long is your shift? Uh, it's been a bit over two hours so far, but there doesn't look like there's going to be an end to it because lunch is coming soon. <laughs> It's all a self-managed community here, all the work that's been done. There's a massive kitchen, there's multiple toilets, cleaning communities, security arrangements. What jobs have you participated in since you've been here? I've done a little bit of kind of security beach marshalling. I've done a lot of paddling on the water. This washing up is probably the, I would say, probably the most useful thing because with blockading and so forth, the romantic stuff is the being out on the on the water or whatever. But this essential work is what keeps the whole thing moving. This toilet cleaning, um, the cooking, um, the tidying up around the place, the going round and rounding people up is really the essential work. Without that, nothing else happens. You'd like to talk a little bit about canoeing out onto the industrial shipping zone of the coal export facility at Newcastle. I hadn't canoed since I was 13. So I went out uh, the first afternoon and just putted around for a couple of hours. And that was, that was nice. It just got me confidence. But then I went out at four o'clock the next morning and I was paddling around in the dark. Then a big, fat, yellow moon came out and it was just gorgeous. And there were we with our little headlights on our foreheads. And it was like, it was like fireflies on the water. And I got the image that if a big coal ship came along, then we'd attach ourselves and it'd be like bits of human glitter. On the front of this coal ship, a bit romantic, of course. But anyway, and then the then the morning star came up, and it was like a sense of ah, there's the future. We can either hope, or we can be afraid, or we can be like the morning star and just get back to that sense of hope. And then the sun started coming out, and the clouds were really dark, and it was like like coal ash in the sky. And then then the sun started breaking through, and it was like it was like seeing sets of blue eyes and that sense of hope and beauty again. It was gorgeous. Bar of washing up. Thank you very much, Carl Eric. <laughs> You're listening to Earth Matters, broadcast nationally across these stolen lands via the Community Radio Network. Today we are on the beach in Mueller Bimba, Newcastle at the People's Blockade of the Coal Export Facility. A light rain falls on the scene of silver water, grey sky and steel cranes as Manjot Kwa takes to the stage. Introduced by MC Fahimar Badrulasam. Our next speaker is someone who has inspired me over the years, uh, an incredible activist that was a leader in the first school strike for climate in Sydney, organising the biggest climate protests in Australia's history. Manjot Kwa. Uh, works to decolonize the environmental movement by growing Sapna South Asian climate solidarity. She's been part of school summits. She's been part of Tipping Point. She's part of community climate leaders. Uh, and we're lucky enough to have her here today. Welcome, Manjot. Yeah. Hello, Manjot. Um, hello, everyone. Maranam Manjot here. My name is Manjot. And I'm here today as part of Sapna South Asian Climate Solidarity. We're called Sapna because in many South Asian languages, Sapna means dream. And 
we formed Sapna so that we could realize and share stories of the dream that we hold of a world free from climate destruction, a world where communities across South Asia, communities in Australia, communities across the world, they hold sovereignty over their energy and we dream of a world free from the destructive and exploitative power of the fossil fuel industry. Um, I want to start again by saying that my name is Manjot. And the reason that I'm saying that is that over the last few days, I have rarely been called Manjot when people come up to me. I've been called the names of many other young South Asian school striker females or other brown women in the climate movement, which makes me feel like I'm not Manjot. I'm just a brown girl in the climate movement, which is not how I want to feel. So I want to ask all of you here, please remember my name and call me by my name if you're going to talk to me. And if you're going to talk to another brown woman and you're not sure what her name is, please ask instead of calling us by each other's name and erasing our separate identities and our separate stories. Because today I'm giving you the honour of hearing my story, Manjot's story. And I don't want that to be confused with every other brown girl's story. Thank you. I want to start by sharing where I come from. Um, my parents come from the north of India in uh, the state of Punjab, also known as the land of five rivers. Punjab is full of fertile, green, rich farmland, green rolling hills, small villages of farmers who have lived in, on that land for decades and generations. I grew up in a small town that was almost like a village, also surrounded by rolling green hills and farmlands in Australia called Mudgee. Mudgee is now facing multiple new coal mine expansions. And Mudgee is also in the centre of um, what is going to be another brutal bushfire season. Mudgee is actually uh, lucky enough to not be um, affected by the bushfires itself, but it's often the main evacuation centre for the nearby towns of Ilford um, that are affected by the bushfires. So Mudgee is, my home is not only at the centre of, of coal mining, but it's also at the centre of uh, the impacts of that coal mining. So those are the two things that, um, I've seen growing up in Mudgee. And we're standing here at yeah, the world's biggest coal port. Um, and we all know what that means. But I want to take us on a journey thinking about where this coal port connects to and why this coal port is so important. A few weeks ago, I had the honour of being out in Narrabri on Gomoroi country. That's a few hours from here and it's another epicentre of coal mining, particularly by Whitehaven Coal, who are planning to double their coal production in the next few years. Yay! When I was on Gomorrah country, I was surrounded by local farmers who had had their land stolen and their water threatened by coal mining companies like Whitehaven. I was listening to Gomorrah custodians who had had their land taken away for coal mining by Whitehaven Coal. And I was also standing there with my allies and friends from Sapna South Asian Climate Solidarity 
and from the Pacific Climate Warriors. And we went there to listen, to see the impacts of the coal mining on that local community, and also to share our culture and our stories of hope for the future and what that looks like, not only for communities in Narrabri, Ongomoro country, but for communities in South Asia and communities in the Pacific. So let's start right there. Let's start in Narrabri, where the coal that comes to this port is being dug up, where it's being dug up on land that belongs to Gomoroi people, where it's being dug up using water that is stolen from farmers who desperately need it, where it's being dug up in communities that are being overtaken by coal mining propaganda. That's where the fight starts, right? That's where the impacts of coal mining starts, and that's where the resistance starts. That's where locals, farmers, and First Nations people are there disrupting coal mining in their community in different ways from how we're disrupting it here today. They're having conversations, they're waging legal battles, they're, they're in the nitty gritty. It's a different type of resistance to what we're doing, but it's equally as important and that's where the fight starts. Then that coal hops on a little train. Often those trains don't even have a lid on them, meaning that coal dust is blown into communities. It is breathed in by people causing health impacts. Then it finally reaches this port where it's processed and put on a ship. And that's where we are standing now. We're standing in the middle of that story of coal. And we're standing at a place where we can stop the further impacts. But when it leaves this port, that coal goes on to multiple other countries in our region, countries across Asia, countries in South Asia like India. And what happens there is that that coal is burnt at coal power stations. These coal power stations are often also built on land that belongs to Indigenous people or to local farmers. That coal is burnt on power stations that are taking away someone's farmland and someone's community. That coal is burnt stealing water from another country. So we see the same pattern playing out again. And then we all know what happens after that coal is burnt and the carbon emissions enter our atmosphere. We see the impact of that coal through the heat waves and mass weather events that are sweeping across the world and are particularly impacting places that are across the global south and communities that are most vulnerable. So when we stand here at this coal port, we are not just standing against coal ships. We are standing for communities in New South Wales where the coal is being taken from. And we are standing for communities across the world where the coal is being burnt and they're feeling the brunt of it. Today, we're on the front of this action and of this fight. We're on the front of the beach. We're on the front of the news. We're a blue front of rising tide, right? And this is our disruption. This is your disruption. This is the way that you are all standing up, which is beautiful and inspiring and heartwarming. And when we leave tomorrow or the next day and we stop being at the front of the action, let's remember that all along that journey of coal, from where it's dug up to where it's burnt to where the impacts are felt, there are communities, First Nations people, people of colour, who are also standing up and they're on the front of the same fight, but they're fighting in different ways that are also equally as important. So when you leave, be proud of yourself for being on the front of this fight. And then think about how you can be at the back next time, at the next event, standing behind those different communities 
who are on the front lines of the fight in these small towns and across the world. We want to make sure that we're at the front like this, but that we're also behind backing in every other community, every other voice that's fighting against the coal that comes to this port. Thank you. Amazing. Give it up for Nanja. Thank you so much for those amazing words. So true. We are part of something global here and we need to remember that. Uh, we have had 2,000 people, we reckon, here over the last 24 hours or so on the water, on the beach. It's been incredible to see. And there are plans to take this from here. So this is not the end of this story. This is just the beginning. I know that the organisers are already having conversations with people about events next year. Uh, potentially, we could be part of building this to 10,000 people for a 10-day event next year. So start thinking about that, people. Start thinking about who you're going to talk to next, those conversations you're going to have with friends and family to build this to the size that it needs to be. As part of the camp transport service, Karen's very kindly given me a ride to the station after my three nights here at the People's Blockade of the world's largest coal port. On the way here, she told me that she's one of over 100 people arrested. Here's the story of the arrests. Yeah, I've driven over from Adelaide with my partner. We've spent the uh, whole uh, full four days here, the blockade for Rising Tide. Yeah, we've been out there on our kayaks doing the shifts over the 30-hour period and uh, then I was asked if uh, I would like to join in for to do some civil disobedience and uh, actually once the 30 hours that had approved had ended that we were going to go out in our kayaks and do a bit of resistance and say, no, we're staying out here for longer than 30 hours. So, uh, yeah, so yesterday that's what we did. We uh, went out on our kayaks, a group of us together of over 100, and I believe that it was actually 109 that were arrested now. So that I read that this morning. So, yeah. I was sitting in the shade watching with some other people this panoramic view of this pack of paddlers with some police trying to round you up. What were the police doing with this big pack of paddlers? I think that they weren't really sure what to do with us at first. So we spent a lot of time out there um, paddling to get into the channel to make sure that we were blocking the channel so that the ships couldn't get in or out. And the police were sort of surrounding us and then moving away from us and uh, they would get the head policeman to sort of tell us that we needed to move on there and um, we would be chanting and singing that we basically weren't going to be moving on. So uh, they did seem to be a bit perplexed by um, what to do next. So, uh, yeah, we did spend a lot of time actually paddling to keep ourselves uh, in that channel path and I think that from uh, the beach it looked like we were being pursued a lot by the police. I think that we were all just trying to keep up with each other so beautiful crowd of people out there so supportive. We uh, all hang on to each other's kayaks and sing and chant together and tell jokes and it was just an awesome 
awesome feeling. Fantastic. Just one thing, how do you actually extract somebody from a canoe when you're going to arrest them? Yes, I was a bit worried about that myself. <laughs> I, I'm not old, but I am 57, so so I was thinking, oh, I hope they don't really drag us off here. The police had these big, very large sort of like rubber dinghies, if you want to call it that for, for a better word. They were obviously motorised and there was a lot of police on those. And they pulled alongside us. They had a um, big microphone to tell us that we were under arrest and that we needed to board their ship, their boat, and they would ask us to pull over alongside with our kayak. And they very politely and helpfully helped us onto those boats. There were people that were much older than me out there. There was a lady in my boat with me. She was a little bit older than me. So they were very helpful in how they helped us on board. So I felt very safe and and grateful to the police for for not being rough with us. Oh, what a nice thing to say about the police. (laughs) I know. I didn't know that I was going to be saying that. So thank you, New South Wales Police. Okay, everybody good? These voices were at the People's Blockade of the world's largest coal port, organised by Rising Tide. What's happening next? Find out at www.risingtide.org.au. The Rising Tide demands are to immediately cancel all new fossil fuel projects, to tax fossil fuel export profits at 75%, to fund community and industrial transition and pay for climate loss and damage and to end all coal exports from Newcastle, the world's largest coal port, by 2030. Check out events coming up in the Rising Tide calendar. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environment Justice Program. I'm Beck Horridge. If you missed any of today's show... You can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Or if you're listening via iTunes or any other podcasting service, why not rate us and leave us a review and help spread the word. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in contact, you can send us an email at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for one more Earth Matters.